This is Wayne McCullough with Simple Talk Radio, coming to you from Dallas, Texas, from the new and elaborate Capex Studios, Kevin E. Productions, based out of Dallas as well. Very excited about this new location, got a little closer to my home, which is a good thing. I am extremely excited to have Dr. Rob Carmen on today. Rob is a legend within the pastoral world as well as what I'd call the public speaking world. Him and his wife, Ginger, have traveled over to 70 nations. I bet this year alone they've probably traveled to seven or eight, which I will get to. But Dr. Carmen has become a friend, a mentor, a leader, somebody that's spoken in my life in many, many ways. So they've trained over 50 national leaders, has spoken in person to over 1 million people. Not many people can say that, truly. That is an astonishing feat in its own right. And what I love is, is that Dr. Carmen and his wife, Ginger, are always spreading the Word of God. And I'd say the gospel, but they're also just spreading the Word of God and how to be a good human and to feel loved. Um, Rob is extremely intelligent. He's been awarded two doctor degrees from two different universities. Currently, something that's big and exciting for me and him is he is on the Uversion app, which is the most downloaded Bible app in the world. Pretty much every phone on the planet has it. I use it daily. So you can follow his published work on the Uversion app. So also has pastored a very large church out of New Mexico, one of the largest, not the largest church in New Mexico. Um, and a lot of things brought you out of that. But so, Dr. Carmen, welcome. Well, Wayne, it's exciting to be here. I'm, a, I'm a just excited to see you. I never <laughs> see you. Yes, so and then you're going to catch this. One thing I love about Rob, and I'm going to stop calling him Dr. Carmen now because it's too awkward, so is he? his voice is just commanding and excites me. Yeah, it caught me off guard. I had to turn him down. Right, yeah. So, Kevin, this is going to be a production uh, event for Kevin. This is exciting. <laughs> so, but Rob is just a fabulous man. He has children himself, grandchildren. How many grandchildren now? Oh, we got six now. Six grandchildren. You will be, I bet you're an exceptional grandfather. Well, I try to be. I mean, we, we range from the age of 16 down to nine months. 16 and nine months. Yeah, we've got 13, and I'll be off a little bit, but I bet this is in my family, 27 to 12. Yeah, 27 years old to 12. So that's a great thing. So, But before we get into your background, because I do want you to talk about the church in New Mexico, where you came from originally. Um, Rob and I met at Trinity Church, and I was asked to go see my friend, and that's that's uh, Pastor Joe Martin's church, a, a dear friend to both of us, and a fabulous pastor and man, to go see Dr. Common speak. He spoke that particular night on a, on a story which is called Who Told You, which is what creates a narrative in your life. I listened that night, was enthralled, intrigued, brought to tears, Actually, you had what I would call an altar call, which is come forward and leave those fears at the feet of God. I brought my eight-year-old daughter up, and she was going to camp, and she was dealing with a lot of anxiety and fear at that time over many things, and she cried, and it was just a touching moment. I bet there was, you know, that was a very, very well-attended, hundreds of people. I let that sit in my soul for months, and this is not unusual for me to do, is then go seek that person out. So I reached out to, to Dr. Carmen on Facebook through Instant Messenger or DM, which is odd. And then he responded maybe a month later, and I couldn't believe that he actually responded. 
And then we just began a dialogue and, and then realized we had more connectivity than we probably knew. But that is that was the how we got to know each other. And then I've just continued to bring Rob into my life, and he's brought me into his. He's been a huge encouragement for The Heart of Man, the film that most of the listeners know. So as you guys know, we focus on faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. The big five. How you order those is up to you. I put faith first. If we can keep these in line, life becomes so much easier. And I talk about this a lot, Rob, which is if your finances are messed up and you're really struggling or carrying debt or overspending, it just creates stress across all those others. It's hard to get close to God when you can't give to God and when all you can think about is your money all the time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great quote last week. I'm trying to myself and and get my family and even some nonprofits I talk to to quit focusing on scarcity and focus on abundance. You have more than you know. That's right. right. That's right. That's but right. you get hyper focused on on scarcity. So, but that's to the point of if your health is bad and you're 27 pounds overweight, well, yes, you can still be close to God and pray, but it's you're just leaving it just comes harder so i think we'll focus a little heavily on faith today because that's where you walk and spend most of your time and being a very strong man of god so there is our relationship would you just fill us in on you know as far back as you want to go what really would would brought you to the ministry that launched you when you i guess you were involved at christ for the nations right at one point as i well. was i was yeah. but you know kind of what took you to there and then launched you out well, Wayne, if we go back, I mean, I, I'm not sure how far back we want to go, but I was actually raised in California. I tell mm-hmm. people don't hold it against me, especially nowadays. But in saying all that, raised in a Catholic family, never really ever heard about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My folks moved to New Mexico when I was completing high school. The worst time you can ever move a kid, period. Mm-hmm. And so it just disrupted my whole life because all my friends were there and I had no friends where we were moving. I went on a personal journey that finally led me to that place. I was in a Baptist church where I first heard the gospel and it, it actually aggravated me, um, which I found out later that's just conviction. Mm-hmm. And it was several weeks after that, that that message began to resonate again in my heart and in the simplicity of the faith of God that was rising up within me, I simply said, Jesus, come into my life. And something instantly happened on the inside. I knew three things immediately. Number one, I knew that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. Number two, I knew that he was in my heart. Number three, I knew that if I died, I'd go to heaven. That began an amazing journey. It began to shift the entire paradigm of the way I viewed life at that point, which brought me to the place to where after I met my wife, she was uh, born and raised in El Paso. I moved there for a period of time. We got married, we came back, and in a very short time, we launched or planted a church, which became a very significant church. We had no idea how big it was gonna get. It was very small. We started out with 35 people, 34 women, one man. Hmm. And I say that all the time. I always tell people, what can you do with 34 women and one man. And I say it in a way- in there somewhere. Well, I'm always saying it in a way to almost aggravate people. And then I turn around and I say, you can change the world. 
And that thing exploded. We went from location to location to location to location, eventually bought land right off of Central Avenue, which is old US 66, if you know anything about uh, the Southwest, Mm -hmm. the most iconic highway in America. We bought 15 acres of land out there. We had a thousand uh, car park, you know, our parking lot held a thousand cars. We had a 1600 seat auditorium with three services every Sunday. And then in the, in, the, in the process of all that, there was still something much more inside of us. And we had this vision, this heart to touch a world, to take what God had done within us and to replicate that in nation after nation. And that, that began our journey. It was a slow journey at first, but that began our journey, which eventually brought us to over 70 nations that we have, uh, we've been in, we've worked in about 55 of those 70 nations and um, built tremendous relationships, which has created a platform to do a lot what we're doing now. But we just keep on seeing it expanding in so many ways through the advent of technology and what we have within our heart. We don't see an end. And so many guys that I talk to nowadays are always talking about an end. I'm talking about a beginning. Life is never behind you. It is always in front of you. I don't live out of a memory. I live out of an imagination. And it's the biggest thing because God said in the book of Ephesians that he would do above and beyond what you could ask or imagine according to the power that's at work in you. Well, you've got to amplify. You've got to jumpstart that power. That's the power of faith, hope, and the Holy Spirit. And unless you gear that thing up and be determined, you begin to live off your laurels and you don't want to live in your past. You live in your past, you're going to go backwards, you're going to die The definition of old age has nothing to do with a numerical amount or when you were born, but the definition of old age simply says in Webster's 1828 dictionary, which nobody would argue with Noah Webster, he said that old old is belonging to the past. And then he gave the second definition is stale. We don't want to be stale. We don't want want to belong to the past. There's always a future with God, and it's always bigger than what you've had before. So that's the way we live. That's the way we conduct our life. That's the way I don't want to see, uh, I don't want to live off something that happened, but I want to build something that's still happening. Mm. Kevin, you're going to discover that I could not talk for the next hour <laughs> with ease and just listen. It's, it's, uh, it's re- yeah, it's refreshing. Yeah, it is refreshing. So God, I love it. Mm. It's a growth mindset. I love the idea of not retiring. What is that, right? That is such a bad plan, whoever. Well, I'm going to work as hard as I can and kill myself to the where they get to the end and then I can't enjoy it. Well, most people don't understand where the word retirement, where the concept of retirement came from. It came from Germany. And the Germans brought it in to actually as a form of punishment to a man. In other words, a man would reach a certain age. They would take his ability to work away from him because they knew he would die. So it came as a form of punishment. We took it as a form of compliment. It's neither or. It's a, it's a horrible thing because once I tell people, you can retire from a company, a job, an occupation, but you never retire from work. Work is one of the greatest things that God gave an individual because it's work. he works six days. The Bible called creation God's work, and he loved every moment of it because at the end of every day, he looked at it and he said, it's very good. In other words, he took, he took joy 
because work is the tool that God gave a human being to get out of them everything he put in them. So without work, every talent, every skill, every ability lies dormant and begins to die on the inside of an individual. Therefore, and there, therefore work is essential to life. And when you work with the idea of purpose, and then when that purpose creates a passion, something that ignites it behind it, it ignites the human body. You know, we're a triune being. We're holistic by nature. So once the inside of an individual sparked with passion and purpose, and when I begin to work to get those gifts out of me that God put in me, because there's no, there's no limit to how far I can go with them, then what begins to happen on the inside of me as a result of it, my body begins to respond. The view of my life begins to respond. You know, if you look up habit, and, and we briefly mentioned that before the broadcast started, I did, I did a, whole, a whole writing. Uh, I, I, I call it the, uh, the, the, habit, the habit of seeing. Because habit, from our word habit, we get our word clothing or garment. It came out of the word habit. That's why nuns in the mm. Catholic Church call their, their garb a habit. Because mm-hmm. the word habit means clothing. So whatever your habits are is what you're clothed with. That's why there's a fascinating story that's always grabbed me about a blind guy in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 16, by, by the name of Blind Bartimaeus. And it says the more he heard about Jesus, he not only just heard, but in his own, even though he was blind physically, he wasn't blind eternally. He began to create an internal picture that Jesus was a healer, a deliverer, one that could change him and change life and change his future to the degree that the Bible says that he threw off his garment. In other words, that garment that clothed him from a habit of, of smallness, a habit of littleness, a habit of, of, uh, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a, a, a habit of woe is me, of mm-hmm. I'm a victim of life. Uh, look what life has dealt to me. That created a garment upon his life. But as they begin to dwell on something bigger, greater, and better, those garments couldn't fit him any longer. That's why the habit of thinking big, the habit of seeing a big life, the habit of dreaming, the habit of faith, the habit of hope, those type of habits create within us a clothing to where we cast off the old, we put on the new, your physical body responds, your mental capabilities begin to respond because we're triune. Pretty soon you don't want to weigh what you weighed if you're overweight. You don't want to live uh, 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 as a couch potato. You want to be, it, it, one thing affects the other. It's small, it, it, it snowballs itself into a very holistic lifestyle to where I want to have a sharp mind, a sharp body, a sharp life. I want to affect my life, my marriage, my children. It doesn't contain itself just by, but look at the opposite. If my habit is always small in thinking and, and living in the past and depression and thinking about woe is me and, and negativity and lack and scarcity, it'll affect, it'll affect my body. It'll affect my thinking. It'll affect my marriage. It'll affect my children. It'll affect because I got a garment. That habit put a clothing on me that's constricting me that's holding me down, I got to get rid of that. And the only way to get rid of that thing is to begin to change my habit. And if that habit changes, my clothing will change and that old one will never fit again. I won't put it on, I'll throw it away. Mm. (laughs) It's so great. So um, tell me, you've mentioned this term twice, so let's educate the listener 
triune being or triune body? What does that mean to you, and what does it mean? Well, we're, we're holistic, which, right. which means which means we have a we have a, a body, a soul, and a spirit. Okay. You know, the soul being the human mind, the emotions of an individual. Uh, I talked to a good friend of mine called me up the other day. He's a missionary out in Botswana. Been out there thirty years, and he wanted to. He just wanted to call. So we 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 talked. I said, "How you doing?" He said, "Well, I'm just going. I think I'm burnt out. I think I'm just hit a wall." And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" I wanted to. I wanted him to talk, and uh, the more he talked, the more I could kind of see into it. And I said, "I said, Jerry, you got to understand, we can't." We can't remember from day to day all of our thoughts. They say the average human being, about 2,000 thoughts a day, would just run through their head. So we can't, we can't calculate um, uh, every, all of our thoughts, but we can feel our emotions. And our emotions are the, are the, uh, are, are, they're the thermostat. They're, they, they're, they're, they're what's telling us what we've been thinking. I said, your emotions are beat up. Your emotions are down. Because somewhere over a period of time, you've allowed an accumulation of toxicity to begin to build up slowly in your mind. And I said, whether you wanted to call it a burnout, whether you want to call it clinical depression, it's all about the same thing. Uh, we, we, can, we could wordmeister this thing to death, but the end result is uh, we can have a down day, but I'm talking about something that lasts week after week, month after month after month after month, that seemingly just doesn't go away. You can't just snap out of it. You have to change something. So you have a soul, your mind, your will, your emotions that accumulate. Everything we think about is accumulated within that soul. That soul has a tenderness about it. It can break. It could only hold so much toxicity. And that toxicity can, can, be, can come in the form of frustration. It can become in the form of anxiety. It could come in the form of worry, fear, uh, anger, hostility. All of these things are just a negative form. They say that just fear and worry will, has, has an adverse effect at, uh, of over 30 hormones in your body. It affects over 16, it creates over 1,600 chemical secretions that are negative to the human system. Just fear and worry. You know, fear, worry is an old English word that comes from the word to, to choke, to put your hands on somebody's neck and choke the life out of them. And so when we accumulate those over a period of time, they have devastating effects physically, emotionally, uh, mentally, uh, spiritually. They affect us. We're, we're triune. We're not, we're not three separate things existing in three separate entities. We're one entity and within that entity, there's a, there's a spirit on the inside of us. There's a soul, a mind that affects our emotions, and there's a physical body. When one's affected, the other one's affected. When one's thrown off, the other one. For instance, you, I know, I mean, you're a, a, an, an amazing athlete uh, because you've done those, uh, those, what do they call them, those 50-mile ones? Yeah, ultra marathon. Ultra, so. yeah. yeah. Now, you're the first guy I ever met that ever did one. You did 50 miles. That's incredible. But... You know, and I know that when you push yourself physically, you you can get a runner's high. It it, it helps. It mm -hmm. affects you. It affects. It it releases endorphins into your mind, which it just feels great, and mm -hmm. you feel fantastic afterwards. So everything affects something that affects something, and if you can jumpstart one, it begins to affect the other ones, and it, and it goes on. So good. So 
Okay, then let's do this because I love what would I consider in my world biohacking. There's always has there, there's always a bigger process, but in in Tim Ferriss and Ben Greenfield and some of these guys, and even Tony Robbins to to a big extent, which has helped me a lot. And I'll explain when. What do you do? Okay, so Jerry, who I've met, amazing man, the work he's doing, and we we can talk about his his work at the end. What did you give him practical tips to begin to help him get out? I yeah, mean, I did. In, in the biohack world, it to me is some. For me, I have mornings when melancholy will come over me. I don't know why. I don't know if it's it's minor low grade depression. I don't know if I'm just worn out, burnout. But I'll go to cryo, which is cryogenics, which is I get in a tube and they take it to 300 degrees below zero. And that was a Tony Robbins trick. And let me assure you, it works because I'm cha- literally changing the biochemistry of my body. Right. So for me, that's a biohack to at least get my mind in the right place, which helps. So what do you give maybe more from a mental or spiritual standpoint? What do you give somebody to start? You yeah, can't give yeah. them a, a six-week plan immediately, right? No, 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 no. Yeah. And, and that's that, that's a fantastic question. What I try to do, if I'm talking to somebody like that, I got to let them talk enough about it until something rises to the surface where you can begin to put your finger on. Mm-hmm. You begin to think, okay, that's it. Because we're all affected differently. You know, some people can go through um, tremendous ordeals, and it has almost little effect on them. And then that same person that you would think this would bring them down, it's a little thing over here that you think, well, big deal. And that's what does it. So everybody's different on how they respond. Some people yeah. just yell it out and they get it out. When some people's, we just talked about this with the director of uh, the Moment Institute, people's ability to handle stress are way different. Exactly. Right? I mean, some people cave in over little things and some can just you know go through Vietnam. So. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting. And when I've watched what he's gone through, which is, I mean, he's had his house burnt down. He's had, he had cancer, um, uh, throat cancer. He mm-hmm. went to MD Anderson. You know, they did 40 radiation treatments. He's been, none of that affected him. And, and, and I've watched what he's gone through over 30 years. And you think, well, that, well, that'll, well, that'll tear me up. And that didn't have any effect. So as I listened to his conversation, the Bible says, it's fascinating, the scripture says, there's a little foxes that spoil the vine. Sometimes it's that little thing. And he kept on repeating something over and over and over. And I said, that's it. You've allowed the, that to really, almost like a burr underneath the saddle of a horse. Mm-hmm. You've allowed that to lodge over the years until that one thing. So what I always do, I call it a, um, well, for lack of a better word, it's, a, it's an emotional detox. And, um, um, you know, a, a psychiatrists have said, if you can change the first five minutes when you wake up and the last five minutes when you go to bed, you can change your day. I say, if you can change a day, you can change a life. Because all a life is an accumulation of days. God gives life in days, not in years, weeks, or months, but he gives it in days. And so... I always tell people, change the way you wake up. In other words, don't just wake up and get up. That's what most people do. And I always tell people, the worst thing you can do is get up and then wake up. That's dangerous, especially if you drive. So I always tell them, just, you know, when you wake up, the first five minutes of of consciousness, just begin to believe that this is going to be a fantastic day. Allow healthy, positive 
thoughts to pass through the consciousness of your thinking and let those thoughts create pictures. See the day good. Think of a good day. Plan for a good day. Believe for a good day. Think of pleasant sights, things that bring that, that, that uh, pictures in your mind that just begin to resonate. And then at the end of the day, just like, and I tell people this all the time, we take, we take showers or baths every day. We wash our hair every day. We understand that our bodies pick up debris and they have to be cleansed. I mean, that's just basic uh, 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 knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but our soul picks up debris and we never cleanse it. We'll wait for, for, for years. We pick up little things along the way, little aggravations, whatever. So I tell people at the end of the day, just spend up 10 minutes. Come on, 10 minutes. You can do driving. And just, just allow a process. I just remove from my mind and emotions every thought, memory, idea that I might have had today that's not in harmony with the goodness and bigness of God, any aggravation. And just go through like a, like a, a mental, emotional cleansing and get it out. And then the moment you get something out, fill it. Otherwise, you create a vacuum and it'll come back. Mm-hmm. So fill it with God's goodness, closeness, bigness, his love. And I, I always tell people, I think it's fantastic to do, especially for men, if they're going home. Because then when they get home, they get home with a tremendous attitude of peace, of love, of joy. They're ready. Because, you know, it, in reality, all of life is summed up in just two phrases, leaving and entering. Everything mm-hmm. leaves to enter. And the way you leave determines the way you enter. You left your womb to come into this world. You leave home to go to school. You leave school to have a career. You leave singleness to get married. You leave a house to get into your car. You leave a car to go into work. The way you leave determines the way you enter. So anytime you leave anything, leave right, and you'll enter right. And that's it. No, I'm kidding. We don't need to leave yet. So you... um yeah, that story made me think of something that you've said. That we're, we're both um, advocates and, and big believers in Norman Vincent Peale's work. To you younger listeners, you may not know who he is, but but highly, he was the original biohacker, really. Norman Vincent Peale. You can now watch and listen on YouTube to some of his work. But that, that made me think of, and it's something I've been working on, which is called The Two Chairs, a book by Bob Bodine. But... If you can't sleep at night, the, the Peel story, his famous story, he told this businessman who was stressed out, couldn't sleep, nightmares, putting a chair by the bed. And anytime he felt overwhelmed or stressed or anxiety-ridden or couldn't sleep, is just stare at that chair knowing that God's sitting there. That's right. And that you can talk to him right there, and he's watching, and he has your best interest in mind. Right? But that's, that's that simple. It helps. It right? does. And, and you and I both, and I talked to Ryan Birdman Parrot about this on a couple of shows because he's dealing with a lot of soldiers with PTSD and you know, 22 soldiers take their life a day, veterans, which is astonishing. Um, isolationism is really the scourge of all this, right? You know, it Jerry is. doesn't talk about it. It becomes a problem. That's right. A, a big problem. Or my brother or whoever it is, right? You, I think there is Dr. George Burris, who's a dear friend to both of us, he doesn't really care for traditional therapeutic work, but he'd say at a minimum, just vomiting up information for 30 minutes, talk therapy is worth a fair amount. That's right. Right. 
So I, I love the speaking it because if it's of the tongue, it becomes reality, right? Mm-hmm. So get it out there and talk to God. And and, and I'm tired as you are of, of people walking around depression and you know self pity and shame, and it, that's not the plan for their life. Now we, you and I know that there is a chemical and imbalances and other things, but you still need to take it on from a spiritual and mental standpoint. So, well, I think so. I, yeah, um, and I don't, I don't try to direct people on what to do or what not to do in regards to any kind of uh, pharmaceutical medication mm-hmm. or, or, or um, um, whatever herbs or whatever supplements they might be using. That's fine. That's up to them. Um, but I would, but I, but I do think if you look at the, if you look at the history, a uh, timeline of what we call depression, which is huge in our culture mm-hmm. and it's only going up, it's only going up. Uh, you know, I, I, I live in so much of a pastoral type world and to see pastors in their thirties taking their life. Oh, now. it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it, which was almost unheard of at one time. Because, like you said, the isolation that we've created in culture bottles all this up. And then add to the isolation, shame. So a person thinks, well, I I can't tell anybody because that would be an admission of weakness, especially in a man. No man wants to appear weak in front of his peers or his subordinates. So he he isolates it on the inside, and then it magnifies. Mm. to the point to where the only way out is to take my life, which is an extreme. But we have to, first of all, we have to bring it out in the open. We have to, we have to take the shame out of this thing and allow ourselves the ability to converse and have conversation. That's why, and you and I have talked about it, um, I went through um, clinical depression back um, 23 years ago. And that seems like a long time now. But back then, it, you talk about shame, especially mm. when you're pastoring no a, a large, and nobody talked about it, nobody wanted it. And so I just, I exasperated it within me, and hindsight's twenty twenty. I know that I exasperated the thing within me because I tried, I was, tr- I, I, I couldn't tell anybody. I, I, I didn't know who to tell if I could tell somebody. And so I tried to cure myself. And trying just to cure myself, I, I, I've said in hindsight, I would have given anybody $5,000 right up front if they would have just said, if they would have looked at me and said, I can help you. Talk to me. I can help you. But that, to me, in my world, it didn't exist. It might have, but I had no idea it did. And it took me, Wayne, it took me years to get to the point where I would even talk about it publicly. Mm. Because I still felt elements of shame. And yeah, I mean, I've talked to some veterans that have given their entire stories and left that out, and now they're starting to tell it. You know, it's, it's a fascinating conundrum we live in in the world right now. My children experience the connectivity has created isolationism, mm-hmm. the, the ultra-connectivity. I feel connected because I'm on my phone looking at, YouTube and or Facebook or Instagram, yet I'm really not connected to anybody. And then it creates false fronts too, which is my world looks perfect, but it's not. 
So uh, that's one of my favorite recordings you've done. It's called The Mind, which Dick, so I want people to know, we'll get to the end where they can find all of this information, which is, I listened to that one when I was going through a tough period myself. Um, and you said things that, but there was a book that was given to you during that period that began to launch you out of that, correct? By an internist of some sort and or a nurse. Well, no, actually, you got two stories going at one time. Okay. So I was, I, I ended up in the hospital. Yeah. And, um, you know, because people were saying it might be this, you know, everything physical you need, uh, it might be your heart. Mm-hmm. So I ended up four days in the hospital. I'm sitting on the bed. An internist um, came walking in, sat on the bed. I don't know. I, I, I have no recollection what the individual's name was. He didn't introduce himself. Wasn't, it had, it had nothing to do with, uh, with what I, he just came in, looked at my chart, sat down, looked at me, and said, You got clinical depression, and you're gonna have to change the way you live, and it's not gonna go away overnight, but it will. And he got up and walked down. And uh, it, it, the only person that ever said that, I mean, <laughs> I, was in the, I was in the dark. I thought, Is it physical? Is it this? Is it this? I mean, I went on a rampage mm-hmm. of six to eight months buying every self help remedy. I was flying to different cities just to get some. I mean, I wouldn't. I won't. I won't get into the details right here, but I, I went through everything from from herbal formulas to Chinese medicine to vitamins to chiropractors, and they're all good. They all have a place. Acupuncturist, the whole thing. I went through everything, and um, nothing for me. N- none of that did any. It exasperated because I was creating a stress level trying to get over it, if you can understand that. Yeah, of course. And uh, so it, it, it did nothing as a result of it. But when he told me that, it snapped something. And that's when I read, and then a, bo- a, a story in a book that I read is what affected me several years later, because even though I had come out of it, there would be times where we would try to come back. Mm-hmm. And when, I, when I, I was reading that book, and that's when I got into what I just mentioned about a... Um, a, uh, an emotional detox at the end of a day. It was an individual by the name of Lawrence Townsend that lived way back in the 1800s, uh, probably middle to latter 1800s. Um, in the height of his career, he was the ambassador to Austria as well as several European nations. He was knighted by the Queen and King of England, reached the pinnacle of his career. He was in his 90s at this time, and that's when a young guy, a young pastor, from New York City by the name of Norman Vincent Peale that just took the pastorate of this church in the height of the Great Depression, 1930, which you had 25% unemployment, 900 banks had shut down, Mm -hmm. and no city was harder hit than New York. And this young pastor was asked to visit this Lawrence Townsend, who was in his 90s, and he went to his house. He had a little atrium set up in his backyard where he would do physical exercises. And he turned to this young pastor and said, would you like to know the secret of my success? And this young pastor was absolutely, and that's when he went through methodically how he concluded every day with that prayer from his heart of removing every thought, memory, idea that's not in harmony with the goodness of God. And he went through it as though he was searching his own soul for the removal. 
and then he would fill himself with the bigness, the goodness, the greatness, the compassion. And he went about 15 minutes, and he went through methodically. And on that series, I have the whole prayer. I put the whole thing in that series that they could, anybody, could, anybody could download and get. And at the end of it, he turned to this young pastor and said, that son is the secret of why God has used me. Well, that was the start of Norman Vincent Peale's huge work that eventually he connect, he is the only, he's the only pastor in America that ever, that ever ministered to 10 sitting presidents as a pastor. And they called him America's pastor and had a huge impact on not only that, but the industrial world, huge mm-hmm. impact on the industrial world because he gave speeches all over, uh, so on and so forth. But that was a turning point, he said, in his life. So this may be hard to pin you down on this. Is there one Peel book that if you could tell the listeners get this one and start there? Well, probably his landmark one, which, power is, positive which is the Power Positive yeah. Think. When most people don't realize that wasn't the original title. The original title was The Power Positive Faith, and nobody would publish it. It sat on top of his refrigerator, for t- the manuscript, for two years until his wife brought it to another publisher. Mm-hmm. He said, would you consider publishing my husband's book? And he went through it, and he said, well, I suggest he change the title. She said, she, he, with, that, with that title, your audience is going to be small. But he keeps using a word, pow, the power of positive thinking, and if he'll change it to that. And they had to do this iconic word search at that time to find out that nobody else had that title. And when he t- sold 20 million of them. Yeah, I've read it several times. The, the two, two authors that speak into my life in humans, and in, in, in they're, they're before my time far, are still Corey Ten Boom and Norman Vincent Peale. From... Completely different humans from different oh, yeah. walks of life that went through very different backgrounds, but the the faith and the belief that God is good carried her through death camps yeah. in Nazi Germany, and you know helped Norman Vincent Peale change hundreds of thousands of people's lives. So we encourage you to go out there, listeners, and pick up both those books: The Hiding Place and The Power of Positive Thinking. And she also wrote a book called Tramp for the Lord that's phenomenal. So um, where do we go next? We're, we're going to progress. So those are two very interesting and distinct routines that are, frankly, pretty easy. The one thing I probably do a little different is I speak um, over my life or my family pretty quickly when I wake up in the morning, but I get out of bed really fast. And that is driven by, just to take the opposite side of that, if you're just so the listeners can understand, and this has been helpful to me, if, you're, if your tendency is towards rumination and anxiety, sometimes sitting in bed and beginning to ruminate and think can be bad. So I did, Lizzie's often like, well, you sh- why'd you shoot out of bed like a rocket? I'm like, I got to go, right? I need to get and go and do. And so that's part of me is, okay, God, here I am. Let's go get the day. Yeah, and I need to go because if I begin, because worry is a default for me. So a path to that is just let's get the day going, and so just wanted to put that out there. It's a little different, and but then I always find time almost daily for my two chairs, which is one chair is here, one is directly across, and I'm having a conversation with God and trying to listen, which is harder than just to talk. So tell us what what are just a couple other things that you know, habits or routines that has served you well, you know, really even post-depression and just, just to keep, you know, that helps you keep your head up. Well, I've, I, and it I, gives you energy because I think there's a massive, and I've experienced this, mm-hmm. 
a massive energy drain within the American population. Mm-hmm. People are tired all the time, and they, they don't are. have energy. I did an entire series. I call it renewable energy because everything God created has a renewable source of energy. Everything. Okay, so let's then then because we're going to be approaching the end here. Let's kind of focus on that because I know I had a meeting with a guy yesterday who came in town, and I see this all. I could see the the bags in his eyes, and, and when when the meeting would slow down, he would get the slow blink going. But I see it all the time, and I've been guilty of it. So, so talk, talk to us there. Well, first of all, what got me started is they said that 50%, this was in the Dallas Morning News, 50% of Americans are tired all the time. And when I read that, I thought, that's, I mean, it's huge. And it's I, don't care how much, I don't care how much sleep they get. They're tired all the time. Mm-hmm. And so there's energy drainers. Um, there's things that take energy out of us. So we have to, I always say, first of all, you got to plug up the leaks you got to find out what's draining your energy. And, and uh, uh, that's when it comes back, like we mentioned before, a lot of thoughts. Anxiety, fear, worry, uh, stress. Stress is a huge thing. Those are energy trainers. They take energy out of you because it takes energy to worry. It takes energy to have fear. It takes energy to live in stress. So you have to, first of all, plug up, begin to plug up the holes. Another thing that helps for me is not only that, which we, we, we talked about that in length, um, but the, there, there's, there's uh, of course, exercise. I like, you know, I, I, I'm an advent exerciser no matter where I go. I could run anywhere. I mean, I've run, all, I've run, I've run with, the, with the wild animals in Africa. So I could run anywhere, uh, literally. He's and, run my, three miles or a mile in his hotel room back and forth. I do know that story. Yeah, I've done that a few times <laughs> when I can't go outside. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I will, I will just uh, clarify in Africa, the, the places I've run do not have predators. So right. I make sure there's no predator as far as uh, a, a lion, a cheetah, a leopard, you know, I don't want that. Now, if I run with somebody, I just have to run faster than the guy behind right, me. Yeah. You know, I'll Genius. be fine on that. But exercise, I'm just an avid believer. So no matter how I feel, I'm going to get up. First thing, I'm, first thing I do is I, I, I exercise. Then when I run, I pray. Now, prayer always been a huge stress release for me. Because if you look at what the essence of prayer is, you're, you're, you have opportunities to get stuff out. You know, if you look at the Psalms, David wrote most of the Psalms. And in a lot of the Psalms, he was very angry. He was very mad. And so he would vent to God. He vented himself. And God didn't care. And in the venting of himself, the getting it out, talking about his enemies, what he'd love to do for them. He said, I want to break their teeth. I want to break their, I want to put them on slippery paths, break their teeth, break their, 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 their hands, their feet, and their teeth. I mean, that's pretty violent stuff. Mm-hmm. But in the process, you watch the psalm shift. You watch it go full circle. So prayer has an amount of venting. Prayer also creates faith. It builds with, and it also play a place upon what I said before, that I'm no longer living out of memory. I'm living out of imagination. Because in the process of faith, I begin to see a future. In the process of faith and hope, which you can't separate them, because uh, hope becomes the cradle, the, the womb that faith fills with material. And so in the process of that, my connection with God, I begin, to see a, I begin to see a future. Things begin to spark on the inside of me. And then when that sparks and that future, that passion comes, that, that purpose comes, that energy comes, 
All of those things bring energy. Another thing that brings energy back into a person's life is quietness. Be still and know that I'm God. So I've told people have moments in your life where you just you just get junk out and put your mind in a position, in a place. Uh, it might have been the ocean. It might have been a vacation. It might be a, a, a cabin in the woods that's very serene and go there. I call it a mental vacation and go there for five minutes. The mind cannot distinguish reality from, from uh, a, a physical picture from a mental picture. It can't distinguish the two. So the same emotion that was existed in that really place that you loved, wherever it was, could have been by the beach, could have been in the mountains, could have been on a lake. And what, the, the sereneness and the, and the peace, that uh, uh, the serenity that was captured at that moment is still there. And if you close your eyes, you can go there. And the moment you go there, in your imagination, the same emotion will come back into your life because it cannot distinguish what you physically see and what your mind sees. That's what worry, we, we, could, we obviously see it on the, on, the, on the flip side with worry. Worry is a picture of the inevitable, of the worst happening in your life, and it creates havoc and so on. So those, those elements right there are powerful energy producers um, you know, a butterfly, I, I use this example as a butterfly, a butterfly's wings are solar cells. And if you watch the butterfly in the morning, they'll spread their wings and they'll absorb the sun because it ignites them. Well, sometimes we got to spread our wings and take that little example and there'll be an energy. God, everything God made, if God created an entire world and everything in it, the sun, the moon, the earth, the trees, the ground, everything's renewable. Why would he create us and not have a source of renewable energy that can come back into our life? Energy is renewable. And if we can tap into it, I can't get into all the, all the I did six hours on this stuff. So I've got all this material that shows how a person could have renewable energy come back into their life because it's one of the major problems today. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to move on here. We're going to get into the fast five, Okay. These are right out of the top of your top of your head, off the top of your head. It can be a sentence, a word, two sentences. But I think it's interesting because it, you know, you don't really know what they are. So when I say the word, just give us what comes to mind: faith. Faith to me is energy, excitement, enthusiasm. Perfect. Family. Family is that cohesiveness of being together and of loving one another and enjoying each other's company. Friends. Friends are the absolute, uh, the absolute sugar and salt of life. A person with friends will always be a person that will be happy and have a future. Fitness? Fitness, fitness to me, it means, means uh, uh, almost the same as, as the, the first one. It means strength. It means energy. It means happiness. I love anything with fitness. Got it. Finances? Finances create a lot uh, uh, for me security. Security, opportunity. Okay, mm -hmm. so from there, we're approaching the end, which is sad. Uh, but what, first give me where people can follow you and find you. The best way and easiest ways to do that. Best way is our website, robcarman.com. R-O-B-C-A-R-M-A-N. Uh, 
they could find out where we are, what we're doing, and what we've got. Okay, and there, that's where I actually, for the first time, signed up for your weekly devotionals, which I highly encourage the listeners to do. They're phenomenal. They summarize what you've talked about. In uh, They take a lot of the big stories down to two or three paragraphs, so that's mm-hmm. outstanding. What, what is the, the project that you're most focused on right now, and then how can we follow that? The big project we're focused on right now, I think, would be the nation of Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're broadcasting currently. We develop what we call a 412 leadership school based on Ephesians 412. It's, uh, but anyhow, that, that school, which is a leadership school on video, is being broadcast via satellite, uh, social media, et cetera, et cetera, into Iran, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Turkey, uh, Northern Africa. But with the emphasis, it's all subtitled in Farsi. It's going to be dubbed now in the Farsi language, and we're going on another TV station with that. And the reason why we targeted Iran for the sake of our listeners, number one, is in the news constantly. But what most people don't realize, for the last 10 consecutive years, the nation of Iran per capita has the highest conversion rate to Christianity than any nation on earth. Mm. It happened at the revolution. It began with a small seat in, uh, um, in 1979 when the revolution happened and the Ayatollah came into power. They've only had two Ayatollahs. And as a result of that, the persecution went up. And when that went up, the people, the Iranian people thought that, uh, were told that Islam would conquer the world. It didn't. And so they thought, well, it's not Islam's fault. It's the way it's being administered. And that still didn't work. And so they have rejected the last 16 or seven, uh, eight, 19 years, they've rejected Islam. You can go to any mosque on Friday night, which is the holy night uh, in, in Iran, you'll find them completely empty. There's nobody there. They're, they're converting to Christ. They, sit, they, they, they uh, say that they're doubling. Now, every five years, Christianity is doubling within that nation. Nation of 80 million people, they estimate close to five to six million Christians, and the doubling rate is going to hit that, that, that exponential curve very, very quickly. So even though we hear all this chatter about the Ayatollah and uh, our administration, it's, it's between those two. Their people have no desire for war. They don't want it. They love America. And the reason why is because they have fallen in love with Christianity through Jesus Christ. Okay, so how can people find that particular effort cause and give to that? Well, they would just, if they went onto our website, it has a donate button. So they would give to the World Mission site. They would give the World Mission site. And I explained it. I have a little video online where I talk about our causes. And that's one of our big causes right now. Okay, because that's important work. So we're going to, gosh, I could go for hours, but we can't. We can't. We've got good work to do out there. I, you have meant so much to my life, oh, so much you, to Wayne. many. God has ordained you for doing this work, and I want you to know that this is just the beginning. You're very far from retirement. That's right. Thank you, Rob Carbon. May God bless you and all that you are doing for the greater good, my brother. Well, thank you, Wayne, thank so you. much. I would